Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our Education and Events Coordinator, Emily Kroll. Emily, happy Monday instead of Friday. What a weird way to start the week. Yeah, it's a little weird to be doing it, but we thought, uh, I wasn't in Friday, but we thought it still makes sense since there's a lot of news to talk about. Uh, before we get into all that, I just want to mention we haven't asked you before, so now's a great time. Uh, if you want to leave a, a rating, that'd be greatly appreciated if you enjoy the podcast. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcast or whatever the heck they call it these days, uh, just go ahead and leave a review, and that is greatly appreciated. Well, Emily, today we're going to talk about a, uh, a hospice in Canada. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of things happening in January here, but let's start with talking about a Supreme Court decision of... Great importance that maybe won't matter in a few weeks. Um, so the United States Supreme Court heard a case involving the abortion pill and how uh, women have to be able to um, pick it up and after they have to have a uh, in-person of some kind exam. Um, and they can't just order it by mail. So, just to give a little background on this, the abortion pill has something placed on it by the FDA called a REMS, which I believe is Risk Evaluation Management Strategy, something along those lines. The REMS is something that certain drugs in the United States have to follow because these drugs have an increased risk of complications. Um, women have died taking the abortion pill. And the FDA has placed these uh, this REMS on the abortion pill. And so women have to have an examination. They have to pick it up. They have to take it in the clinic. They can't just, um, they can't just take it home. Um, now Planned Parenthood has been trying to get or start to get around some of these ways with uh, telemedicine so the doctor isn't even there examining the patient, but it's just a quick video call. But uh, what Planned Parenthood really wants to do is have the abortion pill available in a pharmacy, heck, even in a vending machine in a college. In California, they're forcing schools to give it out. Not the state, abortion pill, really? State-funded schools in California have been required, or they're about to be required, to give the abortion pill free of charge to students. Is that plan B? It might be plan B. I think it might be the, plan B. I think the plan was to get it to be the actual abortion pill. That's where they want to go. Uh, that's where they were attempting to go until the Supreme Court kind of said the FDA can follow its own safety regulations. Right. Well, um, so because of the pandemic, of course, uh, Planned Parenthood abortion industry saw an opportunity and they found a pro-abortion judge that ruled why the constitution says that in a pandemic you have to hand out the abortion pill uh you know women can get it by mail you know they don't have to go through these fda safety regulations uh now emily i've read the constitution is there anywhere in there that says that fda safety regulations 
for drugs and medications are suspended during the pandemic only for abortion. Not these other, all these other life-saving, you know, drugs and procedures that people were deprived of um, for, for months at the beginning of the pandemic, but only abortion, only the abortion pill, Emily. I right? haven't seen that, but somehow there was a federal judge in Maryland who squinted his eyes and maybe put in a Cliff Notes version that found that somewhere in there. So, uh, that case was appealed to the United States Supreme Court, and um, even though it's at the trail end of uh, the Trump administration, and that might matter very, uh, maybe a matter of great importance, I'll get to that in a second, but, I mean, they got to this case pretty expeditiously, since it's only been a couple months, uh, but the Supreme Court, six to three, uh, it was an unsigned order, so obviously you have the six pro-life judges or I guess we're calling it the five pro-life judges, and John Roberts felt today like (laughs) (laughs) FDA regulations matter. Uh, Yeah, the three pro-abortion judges obviously sided with the abortion industry as they well generally always do. Um, But the Supreme Court said, hey, FDA regulations are FDA regulations. There's nothing in the Constitution that says uh, the FDA suddenly doesn't count for uh, the abortion pill. And... That means that for at least another um, two days, two days, because uh, what may happen is when the new president comes in, President Joe Biden, he is going to be appointing pro-abortion people into all of these leadership positions. And there's been a lot of pressure at the FDA, uh, the Obama administration, that they, they didn't do it, but they may, I mean, they could do it instantly if they wanted to. They may completely rescind this REMS for the abortion pill. Um, I mean, they could just say, oh, go sell it over the counter. You know, the FDA, people like to think that science is the most important consideration for the FDA, but they will come to politics. And and that's how the abortion pill came to the United States. If you ever want to look back into the history of that with the Clinton administration, how they brought the abortion pill to the United States um, in a very, uh, it was given emergency approval in a very openly, nakedly political manner. And so is the Biden FDA by the end of the week going to say the REMS no longer applies? You know, what's the rulemaking process for that? I don't know. Will they care about the rulemaking process and all that? Remains to be seen. However, This is why it's so important to have a pro-life Supreme Court because there's always a chance if they're not following their own rules, the pro-life Supreme Court majority uh, can hold them to that. But we shall see. So as of now, uh, the abortion pill, the FDA regulations are in place. Will they be there on Friday? Probably. Will they be there in 2022? Who knows? Who knows? All right, so that's, uh, I don't know, sort of encouraging, sort of discouraging. (laughs) Encouraging for now, but it shows that we've got some major hurdles um, we've got to deal with in the coming months and years. Absolutely. All right, uh, next let's talk about um, all the stuff going on in January. So I think the biggest news item is, Emily, you were here when you saw it, no March for Life this year. Well... 
technically not <laughs> quite. The March for Life in Washington, D.C., they made the, de the decision on Friday that it is going to be a virtual event this year. Um, they cited a couple of reasons, and so one of them, of course, is the pandemic and then the the unrest that's been happening around the nation's capital. So you can go to their website and sign up to watch the virtual stream. Um, if you if you want to watch the the March for Life, it that's in D.C. but not in D.C. Um, and so that's a big change that happened um, pretty close to when the event was actually going to take place, but. We are still planning to have our Michigan March for Life in person on the 27th um, in Lansing. So um, now maybe if you were <laughs> if you were planning on going to DC the two days after that and your trip suddenly got canceled, come come into Lansing with us and and we'll we'll do it there. Yeah, and uh, there's fences at the Capitol and all that, but we are we are committed to making it work. Um, so. Think good thoughts about that. You know, for the March for Life, I guess uh, a couple pro-life leaders will still be symbolically marching. They're still going to have a program to watch. Um, but I mean, I mean, for me, it is kind of depressing. Even, even the year with the Snowmageddon, where people <laughs> were stuck uh, coming home and people couldn't get there, and it was really small. There was still a March for Life. So for the first time in. In 48 years, um, there's not really going to be a March for Life. And so it, it's up to us pro-lifers in our local areas to, you know, grab attention, make waves, and, and hold our public events, which uh, some of those that are happening in Michigan, uh, some of those just happened yesterday. So kind of the three big dates in January got the March for Life. Uh, which always, lately it's been on a Friday. You have uh, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton on January 22nd, which we'll get to in a second. But we have Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, and that was yesterday, the 17th. So uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday started as Sanctity of Human Life Day. That was, it, it was the first day, it was a Sunday. It was 1984 by President Ronald Reagan. He had a proclamation uh, declaring a day for people, groups, churches, etc., to celebrate the sanctity of all human life. And because of that, a lot of our affiliates around the state have various kinds of events, marches, rallies, um, candlelight vigils, memorials, and whatnot around those dates. And uh, they're not all done, so go to our website, rtl.org. And uh, if you want to get go to the Get Involved menu, and there's our events page, or you can go to the bottom of the page, the events, and there's a link listed there. There's still affiliate events going on if you haven't attended one. And, of course, the link to our event uh, in Lansing on the 27th. But uh, it's an important day. You know, abortion only exists because we don't believe that the unborn child is worthy of respect as much as everyone should obviously know that the unborn child is a human being. And so, you know, in the pro-life movement, we have a lot of bad days, you know, bad memories, bad things that happen that we're calling attention to. So I think it's nice to have a positive day 
you know, for us to really highlight, you know, why is it we do what we do? You know, and a lot of abortion supporters strangely believe that, um, you know, we do it to control women. Uh, you feel really controlled right now, don't I you? I feel practically enslaved. <laughs> you know, um, or various other strange reasons, mostly control women. Mostly, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to figure that a lot of people, when they see an ultrasound, they see a human being. Uh, when they see fetal development, backs, uh, development facts, they see a human being. And that value of life ought to be respected. If we don't respect the value of that life, we're not going to respect the value of a lot of lives, are we? No, we're not. No. Well, speaking of respect for the value of life, uh, let's talk about January 22nd. So, every year we mark another year of legalized abortion on demand. Uh, I think next week for our podcast, we're going to do a feature on Roe versus Wade and just how uh, ridiculous the decision was and Doe versus Bolton. You know, uh, a lot of people still don't have any recollection or idea of what Doe versus Bolton is. Um, just to give you the Cliff Notes version, of course, Roe versus Wade said that uh, the government can't ban abortion at all in the first trimester, can only regulate it a little bit in the second trimester, but can ban it in the third trimester, except uh, except in cases where the woman's life or health is at stake. And then in Doe versus Bolton, the, decided the same day, it was a case out of Georgia, the Supreme Court defined health in the purposes of this abortion debate as uh, any reason. Uh, one of the draft's opinions even had economics like specifically listed in there. So, you know, the government said you can ban abortion in the third trimester as long as you allow it for any reason. Yeah. Makes sense, you know. Makes sense. DC sense. Yeah, it makes DC sense. DC sense. Um, and since these uh, decisions are in place, they overturned the laws of all 50 states uh, you know, Roe versus Wade was kind of changed in 1992 a little bit. Uh, they kind of got rid of the trimesters and said before viability, government can regulate it. After viability, um, you know, the whole you have to have a health exception, which means anything. Uh, and that's Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which we'll get into next week. But, you know, we can talk about the, and we will talk about how legally wrong these decisions were, you know, philosophically, scientifically, morally, and etc. But we have to look at the practical effects always of these decisions and the choices that we make and the other side makes. And Emily, the practical result of that is a new grim milestone this year, 60 million induced abortions since January 22nd, 1973. So... 48 years, 60 million lives. How do you make sense of such a large number? You don't, really. And, and when you think about it in the context of, so our population in the United States is roughly around 350 million. So you're looking, if you take a look at all of the people living in the United States today, 60 million is roughly a third, we're gonna say very roughly, um, and half those, or a third of those people are just gone. That's insane when you put it into the perspective of 
how many people that actually is. So, we always like to talk about the Holocaust as a human tragedy. That was about eh, a r- roughly six, mi- six, million, six, million. 6 million in Germany. Um, it, there was extended amounts of people other than in Germany, but we're looking at 10 times that number. Um, and it really is, it's hard to, to picture it when you get into such large numbers, but... Yeah, if the yeah. 20th century was the century of pogroms and holocausts and, you know, mass death, then I guess you consider, you know, Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton just to be a continuance of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the United States abortions, that's just the 60 million. You look overseas, most of the Western world, abortion is legal. Um most of Asia, abortion is legal. And uh, just in China alone, the number of abortions a year is beyond comprehension. And I think every year, you know, you see numbers in the 40, 50 to 60 million range every year of abortions. And so abortion is the number one cause of death. Um, I mean, we tr- there's different ways that we try to make sense of that number. Um, was it the top... 81 cities in America? I believe it's 81. Yeah, so if you look at the population of the top 81 cities in America, um, from New York City all the way down to uh, a city about the size of Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, and they all just disappeared tomorrow, that would be what we've done in terms of abortion. Um, If you had a 15-second moment of silence for every child, uh, we're nearly at 30 years is the length of time it would take to get through all of them. Um, one time I did the numbers, you know, and if you've been to Arlington National Cemetery, uh, which is a very moving experience when you see row after row after row of these, uh, you know, white headstones organized uh, together, and uh, it's quite a moving sight. And if you tried to do an Arlington, do that kind of a cemetery setup for unborn children, the cemetery would have to be the size of the entire District of Columbia. So all of Washington, D.C. would have to be a cemetery just to fit the loss of life. Um, Another way we look at it, and we don't mean any disrespect to uh, combat veterans or people that have died in wars, but, uh, you know, wars are kind of a scar on the national conscience and psyche. And we have Arlington National Cemetery. We have cemetery battlefields. Uh, you know, we even into pop culture, we have movies like Saving Private Ryan, whose uh, kind of reason for existence is, um, besides making money like a movie, but <laughs> is really to make you think about, uh, you know, what is the cost of all that we enjoy today and what have other people have had to experience. And even in the course of a single year, Uh, We have more abortions, you know, about 800,000, a little more than 800,000. You know, that's more than the six to 700,000 soldiers who have died in combat uh, since 1775 in America. And even if you get, uh, you know, even if you get a bigger number, I think it's, you know, 1.3 or 1.4 million uh, soldiers have died in war. That's, you know, combat, accidents, illness etc. And that is dwarfed by 60 million. And, you know, in 
terms of war, the enemy did that to us, but uh, in almost every case. But for abortion, we're doing it, and we're doing it to our own children, our own children. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can think about the you know practical implications of that. Uh, just in the last few weeks, we saw news stories about. Um, Japan and South Korea having baby busts and their economies, what that disaster is going to look like. Um, we've heard speculation in the U.S. of a baby bust because of the coronavirus, and you add that on top of abortion and how bad that's going to be in the future. Um, you know, if you're just going to look at a child like a economic producer or a money factory, even then, you know, even if you reduce the child's value to simply what does what's in it for me, um, it, abortion is still not in our best interest, uh, not in the long term. But here we are. Here we are. Anything you want to add to that? What can you add to that? Other than it's 60 million reasons never to give up on fighting for the lives that are in danger now, it's 60 million, but we fight for the day where we can say, not one more. Right. And there would be millions more if not for the work of the pro-life movement. And as discouraging as the numbers are and as high as they are, they have been uh, declining for 30 years. And we're committed to doing everything we can to make sure uh, in the next four or eight years, that decline isn't reversed. Um, so we just have to keep working. And on the 22nd, uh, what you have to do uh, Friday is not just let that day go unmarked. I would really encourage you, say something, speak about something. You can make it positive about the sanctity of human life. Uh, you can try to give people a way to make sense of the 60 million, but don't let that date just go unremarked and uh, uncontroversial. All right, let's shift gears a little bit from the beginning of life to the end of life. Uh, there was a story, was it last week? Yes. Okay. Um, and the story has been, it didn't just happen this last week, it's been going on a bit. Uh, the basic details of it are is, there is a organization called uh, Delta Hospice, uh, I believe that's his Delta. I don't know if the, the full name is Delta Hospice. In Canada, it's a relatively small hospice facility. And all they want to do is provide care for people and families uh, in their dying days. But Canada doesn't want to let them do that. Uh, in Canada, euthanasia is legal by court edict. Very similar to Roe versus Wade. And even though the court never said that, uh, you know, people in Canada have to be forced to provide euthanasia, um, Emily, that's not how it works in practice, is it? No, it's not. And Delta Hospice is very aware of that. They have been engaged in a long battle because they do not want to provide euthanasia to the patients who come to them for care. And um, the hospital system that they are involved with and the powers that be in the area where they are have tr tried to force them to use 
um, euthanasia as treatment, um, and they have refused, so they are being kicked out of their facility, and so <laughs> it's... Which, which they own. Which they own. 30-year lease. You just tear the paper up. Yeah. And it's gone. Uh, and what? Staff are being fired. Yes. Um, and they're stealing their budget. Yeah. They're just stealing their money. They're, they're yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and where Delta's really in a bind is they're not a, uh, a they're not a church organization. They're not a faith-based uh, organization. And so, um, they don't have that out. And, uh, if, Ironically enough, because they aren't religious enough, their conscience rights aren't being respected. So that's why, on one level, it's so important that, um, you know, conscience rights are not just to have a religious dimension, but a moral, ethical, philosophical dimension that uh, needs to apply to everybody. Uh, in Canada, that's not the case. Their local health authority is just basically uh, kind of like the Joker from, you know... Dark Knight, you know, I have not tell, seen tell Dark your Knight. hospice that they work for us now. Uh, and, you know. Never and, mind the yeah. fact that across the street is a hospital that will provide euthanasia to anyone who wants it. Um, it's just, it's, it's very discouraging to see that when people try to provide actual care for people in need, not just give them um, give them a quick exit that they think that they want. And we've seen stories coming out of Canada of people uh, seeking euthanasia for loneliness, for um, non-terminal um, illnesses, and and it's just really sad that there's a government in Canada and a health system in Canada that is not just okay with euthanasia, but they are actively pro-death. Another Joker quote you won't get. No, I'm not going to get it. A little, a little, a little bridged is, uh, uh, you know, it's not about the money or the access to the euthanasia. It's about sending a message. Um, so uh, Delta Hospice really doesn't have much leeway here. Uh, that's what happens when you allow the culture of death to root itself in, uh, it's not going to let you live in a culture of life. Uh, you know, a, a country can't survive really with two cultures. It's going to have to choose in the end. Um, obviously, there's a tug of war between them, uh, and no country's ever going to have a perfect culture of life or ever have a, a perfect culture where, you know, death is just uh, a matter of fact and no one objects. But Canada's a culture of death, and the expression, a culture of death brooks no dissent, is absolutely true. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. I know there's some people in the pro-life movement who don't support abortion, but maybe think that uh, euthanasia or uh, doctor-prescribed suicide is okay. Um, you know, people should just have that right. Well, it's not really about a right. Once you start killing people, uh, there's just going to be no end to it, and you just can't put a wall around death just doesn't work. If you say um, that the unborn, you protect the sanctity of the lives of the unborn, then you have to protect the sanctity of all human lives. You can't pick and choose who, whose life needs to be protected. 
And so it really is where we're all, all of the pro-life movement is standing on that core value that human beings, simply because they are human beings, deserve the right to be alive. All right. I guess that's all the time we have for this special Monday edition of Life Beat. Delayed Monday Delayed edition. Monday. Uh, hope you have a good rest of your week and join us again on Friday for our feature kind of delving into Roe vs. Wade and Doe vs. Bull.